Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode number 37. Gives me great pleasure to uh, have as our guest Fox Broadcaster and also the director of minor league or minor hockey operations for Little Caesars, uh, Darren Elliott, joins us. Uh, I've known Darren a long, long time. It's always great to have a, a buddy on the show. And Darren, welcome to the Red and White Authority. Thanks for doing this. Thanks for having me, Art. Well, let's, we can go all over the place, sure. but I think the first thing is is that you know, when we have a guest on, I really want to, uh, uh, you know, you're growing up in Ontario, uh, you're a hockey player, uh, you're a goalie no less, uh, you know, you're supposed to be you know, eccentric and odd because you're a goalie, <laughs> but you end up at Cornell University. How did that happen? Well, it's interesting because my coach uh, in Oshawa, Ontario, junior B team, was Mike Keenan. Whoa. Dale Howardchuk was 15. I was 16. Kevin McClellan, a tough guy for Edmonton. Oh. He was on that team. We had a good team. Yeah. Um, but what I didn't know, I'd, I was drafted uh, by the Oshawa Generals. Greg Steffen was already playing there as a young goaltender. I was going to be his goaltending partner the next year. Mike Keenan went to St. Lawrence University, uh, and he took our team there. And uh, back then, I'm just a kid. I don't know why we only play one game when we're there for three nights. Now we know it was just a boondoggle for, for Keenan to meet his, all his college cronies. But it gave me an insight into college hockey that I, I didn't know existed. I was drafted by the Generals. You grow up in southern Ontario. You're going to play major junior. Uh, started going through that whole process. Started getting recruiting letters um, from different schools. And I said, hey, this might be a good way to go. Then something else happened. A kid that I played against um, in Windsor when I lived there, uh, he was playing already in the OHL as a young netminder and got traded. So the two things happened at the same time. I'm like, what, you can get traded? I want to get traded. Right. So then all of a sudden, I, oh, I can go to college, play hockey, know I'm going to be there for four years. Oh, and by the way, I don't have to go to grade 13. They had a fifth year of high school back then in Ontario. And as long as your SAT scores were high enough, the U.S. colleges didn't look at you as not graduating. So I always have the only guy that didn't graduate high school that went, at, uh, went to... Really? So after up. grade 12... 12 right, right. SATs, and, that, and you do graduate, and then you get an, an advanced degree after that. And, and notice I spoke Canadian. Yeah, I you said, did. I said grade, grade 12. 12. <laughs> so, so all those things came together, and uh, my dad made me uh, go in and see Sherry Basson, who was the GM, the longtime hockey legend of the Oshawa Generals, Make an appointment, go in and see him, say, Mr. Bass, and I've decided I'm going to go play college hockey at Cornell. I did a, a school visit, blown away by the atmosphere at the school, the, the campus. It was far enough away from home, but not too far, about four hours. Um, it all just kind of came together. I ended up at Cornell University. Now, Brian Hayward was a goaltender as a freshman, so in, in today's world, I would have had family advisors and people saying, you don't go there because you're not going to play. Um, back then, a lot less information. I knew there was a guy that was already a freshman, and he just go, I'll play better than him. Don't know that that was always the case, but we became really, really good friends. Uh, we pushed each other. I know uh, he had a longer and better NHL career than I did, so evidently he was the better goaltender. But at the time, we competed at everything. We competed in golf and tennis. We trained together. Um, so to me, it was a valuable experience, even though, like I said, nowadays you'd probably be advised as a goaltender to, 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 against going there because there's already a guy who's going to be there for three more years. But Cornell's an Ivy League mm -hmm. school. 
so you had to have some sort of academic, you had to have a brain, right? I mean, they just didn't... No, you couldn't get in without the proper SAT scores, um, and you had to have the grades in high school. My first three semesters, because I didn't go to grade 13, were a struggle academically. I'm not going to lie. I was tutors. I was, I was doing everything I could. Uh, I missed some pieces of uh, some major uh, calculus um, by not going to grade 13 that I had to pick up on the fly. So yeah, it was, it was a struggle. But on the, on the flip side of that, my, my first year, my freshman year, we went all the way to the Frozen Four. It wasn't called that then. But um, so the hockey was carrying me along until I finally realized and, and got acclimated academically. A lot of good support, um, but not everybody. Uh, I believe there are a lot of professors that wanted to say, well, I don't you're a, you're a hockey player, so what? Uh, you're going to have to do extra work to get the grades in my class. So it, it was a push and a pull, and it, it was a challenge, and it was a great experience. Did you have, like, famous classmates? I think, like, Ann Coulter <laughs> and Keith Olbermann both went to Cornell. They, they did. Um, maybe they were in my classes. Maybe they weren't. Um, <laughs> I, I'm pretty insulated with the, with the hockey stuff. But I did have, I went and had a minor in communications as well. I took an interest in uh radio writing and, and production uh, and those kinds of things. So um, later, here I am in the media all these years later for the last 25 years, and at the time, all I really wanted to be was a disc jockey. Just think about what that used so, to be hey, like. Right? So did I. I mean, spinning <laughs> records was my was, uh, was idea it. of a great job. Exactly. That's, that's where, where I thought I was going to go, and I always enjoyed the writing, uh, which, again, really helped me out when I wrote for 11 years for Sports Illustrated, SI.com. Um, so all those things that you think about when you're a young kid, sometimes they do pan out. You just don't know how they're going to get there. When, when I look at it, you were something worked out, and it, yeah. obviously academically you mm -hmm. must have caught on because you were part of the Red Key Society, yeah. which, <laughs> what exactly is that? That isn't like the skull and bones over no. Yale or whatever. No, it, it's, uh, they, they try to look at guys that are you're, you're succeeding on the field, on the ice, in the classroom to a certain extent. You're not a brainiac or anything like that because there are a lot of smart kids here. Oh, no yeah. doubt about that. So <laughs> so I'm not putting myself in that class, but it, it's kind of a society recognizing the balance uh, profile on campus, those kinds of things. Um, was involved a little bit, you know, my senior year and a little bit afterwards, but uh, not too much. Just another way to be acknowledged and, and very appreciative of, of any of those kinds of, you know, nods that you get. Do they give you a red key, or do you do you a get plaque. Do you like a little plaque? Oh yeah, there were a meetings. Dinner, or what do you do? There were meetings, but uh, typically those were in the pubs. Those, those kind of meetings. <laughs> Sounds like a good, pretty good society. Right, you mentioned Mike Keenan. What was a? I assume, although I, I always think that he's a. Uh, always been like a middle-aged man uh, <laughs> what was Mike Keenan like as a coach well then this I was mean you had him when he must have year, been like second year as a coach intense oh he was intense um so all the things that goaltenders like Eddie Belfour experienced later on the quick hooks the uh you know the snide remarks about the goaltending I, I experienced as a 16 year old um a couple of great so I learned a lot from Mike gave me great advice um but he was intense uh, it, the he was still, this was before um, the 80 Olympics. So once a week, he'd still put the gear on. He was 26, I think, at the time. He thought he was going to try out for Team Canada for the 80 Olympic team. So he'd put the gear on with us. That's how, that's how young we all were right. at that point. But the intensity level, uh, I can remember us having to run uh, after a practice, 
with our gear on outside in February in the snow because he wasn't happy with the practice. Um, I can remember him coming in. The, the, the one story is a, from a personal standpoint was 3-3 three, three after one period of play, and he's ripping you know, this guy, and he's ripping our play over here. And, he's, and I'm just sitting in the corner. I'm like, okay, that didn't go that well. Three goals in the first period. Okay, I got to shut her down. And I'm kind of listening <laughs> to what he's saying to everybody else. Right. <clears throat> then to conclude, he picks up a hockey stick off the rack, and he swings it like a baseball bat on the front of my old brown leather pads. And says, and by the way, what I just said doesn't matter if you don't stop a puck. And he swings and <laughs> oh my God. And, and and so instead of inspiring me, I don't know if it just terrified me. We won 10-8 as back in the day in the 70s. Lots of Paul Coffey would have loved that game. Exactly. And uh, he so in the paper, the little local paper, when they still had those kinds of things, come yeah. out every Wednesday, <laughs> the Oshawa Times, he's like, yeah, it was like a street hockey game, first one to ten wins, and those are the kinds of comments that, that you're getting at that age, um, but he, you know, we had a tough team. All the things that you saw from, from Iron Mike Keenan as a coach later on, you could see that those were starting to, to percolate. We, he made, we made sure we had a, a good team in terms of team toughness, uh, Dale Howarchuk, yeah, right. Hall of Fame, was on our team as a 15-year-old. Didn't put him on the power play till January. Again, you have to earn it. That old school, right, right, you just right. have to earn it. Um, so it was it was an experience. But again, from a from an overall how it shaped my life, his his counsel on on the benefits of college hockey uh, for a kid in the 70s in Oshawa, Ontario, um, life changing. Was do you still keep in contact with him? Uh, I haven't talked to Mike um, in probably two years. But over the you know, you know how the hockey community right, right, is, yeah, yeah. you can bump into each other. He's been in Russia so much uh, over the last several years coaching that that I haven't kept in touch with him. But there were times uh, throughout the last however many years we're looking at thirty five years right. um, that we 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 in more communication uh, than we are right now. Certainly. Well, I, are you surprised that? Did he just wear out his welcome and burn too many bridges in the NHL? Because he's still a, a superior hockey mind. He truly is. Well, he's he's in the game still. He's a lifetime coach. You know, he's a he's a lifer. Uh, mm -hmm. He loves it. Some guys belong behind the bench. You know, in charge of men, um, and you know, he's doing some great things. I hear in China as well uh, in terms of bringing coaching to to China as well. China to... wants to be a major player in hockey, <clears throat> right. which I guess is good. Right. So, so there are guys like him um, who have been in Russia, uh, proximity, all those kinds of things, the coaching, opportunity uh, to bring some of the base uh, teaching and instruction for hockey. Um, Mike Keenan being there isn't surprising to me. Right. Well, I mean, he's a, he's a very interesting character. Yep. I think o was. over the years, the Red Wings always assumed, or Red Wing fans, I should say, that eventually he would work his way into uh, into coaching the Red and White. It just never seemed to happen. Yet, if you look at longevity of a Scotty Bowman, shall right, we say that you know that he was pretty much blocked here in Detroit from probably ever really becoming a coach here. Although. I've, that was one of the discussions, yeah. you know, in talk radio. Is uh, hey, Mike Keenan <laughs> coming to Detroit? You know, well, you had Scotty Bowman, who he patterned himself after right. uh, quite a bit. They had a falling out a little bit in Buffalo, and Scotty <laughs> Bowman was the GM, and Mike Keenan was the coach in Rochester. Right. Wanted to be the coach in, in in Buffalo, didn't get the job, and then so he left. So you know, it's uh, it's a small, uh, com you know, community, the hockey world. Um, 
but full of, filled with great people, great stories. When we're going to jump around because yeah, we want to get to the Red Wings and all kinds yeah, yeah. of things. I mean, I could go on about that for a, for a long time. You're at Cornell. You're yeah. part of the Red Key Society. You're having a great time. You're acclimating yourself to uh, uh, not only to academic life, but to the United States, even sure. though you're in Ontario, which I've always considered like the 51st state of the United <laughs> States. But but it's... Uh, uh, that's just my American. I know all the Canadians that listen are probably, oh, no way, man. We're not, you know, I understand. I get it. But anyway, I still consider you like the 51st state. Anyway, with that said, you get drafted by the Kings. Yep. I believe it was the sixth round. Yep. And surprised, elated, all, right. all of those things. Well, again, now, now, this, now you're really just making this, making me sound as old as I really am in the Stone Age. So... You think of all the information that's out there. Now, we have scouting reports on 14-year-olds. There are companies that actually track right. Right, the development of kids that young. <clears throat> my dad came. I'm playing baseball. So it was after my freshman year. We w went to, the, like I said, the Frozen Forum Providence. Uh, lost uh, to uh, Northern Michigan. Uh, and then we lost uh, this game, the other game to whoever. That oh, they had a consolation game. Yeah, right which, yeah, was... Nobody wants to play in, by the way. Yeah. Anyway. I'm sure, that's why they don't do it. I don't. Right. Remember. Exactly. <laughs> so, I play. I still played baseball in the summer. My dad comes walking over to the ball diamond. I'm like, I'm playing men's league. I'm like, my dad hasn't come to watch me play baseball since I was 12. <laughs> you know, it's like a Kmart manager. He's like, there's never no time in retail to <laughs> right. like, hey, uh, your 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 coach uh, Dick Bertrand from Cornell uh, wants you to call him. He called. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever. Uh, hey. You were drafted in the sixth round by the Los Angeles Kings. Congratulations. I didn't even know I was eligible for the draft. That was a year that went from 20 to 18, just to show you how. Oh, wow. Like, I had no So it was like, okay, it's a thrill, but it was not the big deal. There was no ESPN didn't even exist then. It was, no, it was done in some boardroom in Toronto uh, amongst the teams. It was not a big production. Um, you've been selected. There's a guy, Alex Smart, was a bird dog uh, scout in that area. Uh, worked for the Kings, gave them my name, and then of course I had the, a good run through that playoff, right. winning the ECAC, and, and uh, first time ever a freshman had been MVP in that tournament, the old Boston Garden, um, going to the Frozen Four. So I got seen by the right guy at the right time in a small window. So I get drafted. Don't know what it means. It's like you're drafted. Okay, here's my sophomore year. So you know it was it was exciting, um, and it turned out to be a good thing to have somebody have your rights when you graduated. Um, and I'm glad I stayed for four years and, and graduated uh, on time. Um, but yeah, it was. Uh, it, it seems surreal because it wasn't on the radar of anything that what is even what was the process? There was no process like there is today. Maybe too much the other way where we know where kids have played and everything about them from the time they're 14 or 15. Really? So, I know they like to tease you on Fox Sports. As a matter of fact, John Keating last night, we're, we're, we're right. doing this on November 6th. <laughs> uh, so the Red Wings, we're going to get to it, play Vancouver tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, I kind of said something with talking between you and Ozzy about, because Peter Morazic had sat on the played. bench. Yeah, right. And he said, well, you know, Darren would be used to that probably more than right. you, Ozzy. Uh, so, <laughs> how would you role. describe your NHL career? Uh, my NHL career, I was, uh, I couldn't get past being the backup. It's hard. It's, it's, you, know, you know the saying, um, it's easier to get there than to stay there? Right. That's me. Because my first year, uh, I played 33 games, had a winning record. 
uh, for the LA Kings. Um, we made the playoffs. Pat Quinn was the coach. I had great coaches along the way. Dave King with the Olympic team. Wow. So, but instead of going, okay, what more can I do to get better? The mindset was I train like I've always trained. I work like I've always worked. It was good enough to get me here. So with experience in the league, it should get easier or I should have better results. It doesn't work that way. You have to, and that's what Peter Morazic was talking about right. that, that he didn't understand last year. It's like, I, I'm not playing well. Um, I'm not playing as much. Um, what does that mean? Well, it means you have to work harder. It means you have to work differently. I never grasped that. Um, in, in time, enjoyed my time, but really it, it was an immature response to um, what your situation was. And uh, Plus you're in Los Angeles, <coughs> right? I mean, there's there's a lot of things to do out there. Yeah, well, that wasn't so much that much of a distraction. It was from a hockey standpoint. Instead of saying, you know, worrying about when I wasn't playing, you got to focus on your next game. Uh, I was always worried, you know, oh, I should be playing, give me a 10-game rip and I'll show you what I can do. So you look at the schedule a lot and say, I got I should be in this game or well, this game. I just, or? I just want you just want to play. Right, happening? right. But you have to earn it, and earning it sometimes is different than just wins and losses. It's are you putting in the work? Are you getting better? Are are you improving? Are you showing maturity in the way you approach things between games? And I didn't grasp that really ever. When at the pro level, thinking like I said, the mindset: I work hard, I train hard, I, I'm got it got me here. As I learn the league more, I should be more with more experience. I should have better results. Well, no, the better results come with improved work, changing certain things. So it was uh, again. You have to go back. Phil Muir was my goalie coach. He just retired. I'd never had a goalie coach. He'd never been a goalie coach. So, so, so you know, it, it was all like, what, what is this? Like, so you know, it's uh, it's how you respond. And, and then in the end, the way I joke about it, my record against the Edmonton Oilers, those big teams from the '80s, with the Kings, was zero six and three. So I played them a lot by, you know, the backup goalie blues, I call it. It's like okay, <laughs> but but that's that that was my joke about it. Like, oh yeah, play me against Edmonton. Instead. What I should have been saying is, in these instances, if I'm successful against these guys, then I can make a mark and move up. But I didn't view it that way. I mean, oh, yeah, you're just throwing me to the wolves, blah, blah. You know, wrong wrong mindset. Right. Uh, I don't want to trivialize this at all, but I grew up like a big Kings fan. Yeah. Because I love the purple uniform, and I love the gold (laughs) uniform, and I love the Queen's crown. There's 11 of you. (laughs) I'm sure players didn't like it. Marcel Dion goes from from the classic Red Wing uniform to the Kings uniform. Did you play in the purple? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And you had the Queen's crown. I had the Queen's crown. That's the the little known trivia fact. It's not a King's crown. It's a Queen's crown. (laughs) Right, it's not With all the jewels, I know. Right, 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 right. (laughs) I mean, but it is, but now looking back, it it is a classic uniform. It it is that. It is classic. (laughs) At least you didn't wear it. I like the purple. The gold, gold, eh, not so much. The purple was cool, but at least you weren't a golden seal with Charlie Finley in those. That's uh, true. The the, the white skates that were heavy because they painted them. Yeah, they painted them, yeah. Yeah, So, so, you know, you you got by that. I actually saw the Golden Seals play at Olympia against the Red Wings. Um, Carol that day 
was there was their star defenseman who recently passed away a few yeah. years ago now you God rest his soul certainly but I can remember him because he had that flowing mustache and the hair just going behind his net and carrying the puck up ice and it just looked like a windstorm you know <laughs> but uh, in the Golden Seals uniform anyway Darren uh, okay you're in LA yeah you're the backup and then you become a Red Wing mm-hmm. and I have to admit when you were traded to the Red Wings, I was ecstatic. I figured finally they got a real legitimate goaltender. But it, they had two here already, Glenn Hanlon and Greg Stefan. Right, right, I remember that. But right. I figured, you know, you know, nothing against Glenn Hanlon right, and, right. and, and, and Greg Stefan. You know, know both of them great yeah. guys. But I'm thinking, well, maybe I thought there was more competition. The teams right. weren't very good. Right. I just figured, here's a name goalie, you know, because mm-hmm. as, as I told you, I followed the Kings, so, right. so I knew what it was. a name to you. Yeah, so <laughs> I said, yeah, it, was a, it was a name to me, so I was excited. <laughs> Talk about the, the, the Red Wings situation. Well, you know, I was excited, too, um, because I grew up, even though I grew up in southern Ontario, uh, moving up and down the 401, Oshawa, Burlington, and Windsor, um, Roger Crozier was my favorite goaltender. Oh, wow. Uh, and, and so then when expansion happened in the early 70s and he went to Buffalo, I became a Buffalo Sabres fan. So I was all, always a Roger Crozier fan. So I'm like, original six, the Red Wings, um, this is great. And knowing that they were building, they, I think they came off of making the playoffs the year before. Uh, they are in that transition phase, mid-80s, late-80s. And uh, I'm like, hey, Bill Deneen, coach, and, and had good young players uh, in Adirondack. I'm like, hey, I, I will be your third guy, and I'll just go. And I, now I was starting to work on my game. Right, right. You started to get it. <clears throat> I started to get it because, you know, I didn't have the American League experience. I went straight from the Olympics to the L.A. Kings, right for right, better or worse. Um, Glenn Healy was actually the guy I went to. I say to this day, I said, if it was reversed, you would have been out, and I would have, <laughs> I, I would have been in longer. He's like, no, I was better than you, which is probably true, too. So... Anyway, I get to Adirondack, and we have a good team, and I'm playing a lot. And Sammy Saint Laurent is, is my goaltending partner, veteran, legend in the American Hockey League. Um, and we just have a good team, and I have a good time. Um, and then when I get called up, because uh, Hanlon and Stephen, uh, Greg Stephan, somebody was always injured. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't get in the net. Uh, I sat on the bench for 11 games, and, uh, you know, it just it just didn't work out like there was right. there was some friction it seemed between Jimmy Devilano who had brought me in um, and there's a great story there uh, the reason why and Jacques Demers the coach there was some friction like he had his guys Stefan and Hanlon were his guys and then Sammy Saint Laurent was even more his guy he actually Jacques actually told me he goes, I, I had a one I had a one-way contract I negotiated it and it was for the time was pretty good for a backup goalie he goes we're gonna send you down and keep Sammy. You make money anyway. We'll give Sammy a few more dollars. I'm like, so you're holding my one-way contract against me? That, right. that yeah. I said, that's unheard of. So there were those kinds of things. Jimmy Devolano, whether real or perceived again, that could just be my right, right. my memory of it. But Jimmy Devolano had just been recently diagnosed with type two diabetes, and he read my story in the ho- old hockey news. The hockey news back in the day when everybody waited for it. Oh yeah, I, I subscribed. Right, and uh, we all did. And uh, he heard about me being a type 1 diabetic. And he actually, when I came and played here, um, called me aside. And I'm playing for the Kings at the time. And he wanted to understand what I did and how I balanced the, the insulin take, intake with my exercise and, and diet regimen. Um, and so that kicked off my relationship and knowing 
Jimmy Devolano to this day. And uh, maybe that was in the back of his mind when, uh, when he you know, acquired me and brought me into Detroit. But I had a great year. Um, I loved my time in Adirondack, put up the best numbers of my career at the pro level anywhere, played the most that I'd played anywhere in one season. Um, and, and my kind of parting memory from that team, we beat Rochester, the Americans, Buffalo Sabres farm team, in Rochester in a game seven, coming down the old stairs at the War Memorial Arena, the basement locker rooms like those old buildings. Bill Deneen, our coach, comes down, legend, followed by Mr. I. He wow. came to the AHL game seven to give us a little bit of a attaboy speech. Atta I'm not surprised by that, actually. I, well, I didn't know, I, I, but to this day, it sticks with The image yeah. sticks with me. Like, this guy took time to come down to the minor league team and say, go get them, boys. And boy, we did. You know, I, I mean, not, to, you know, I didn't know Mr. I extremely well, but, you know, he, he's a minor league athlete himself. Yeah, you yeah, know what I mean? Exactly. So he probably knew exactly what. Uh, very cool, I'll, I'll say that. Right. Uh, yeah, as I said, we're jumping around. Yeah. I know you have a big production meeting at, <laughs> at 1230 here with Fox, so about a half hour left. And I, I, I told you, Darren, we could talk oh, forever. Absolutely. This is, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Type 1 diabetes, mm -hmm. obviously, diabetes is a big, Big disease, mm -hmm. all probably all over the world, but sure. especially in North America here in, in in the United States. You know, people would look well. Well, Dylan Darren Elliott, he's so fit. He's an athlete. I, you know, how do you know? I mean, he, what was he doing? Was he just like you know down in you know Domino Sugar by the case, or what? What was go? How how did he become a diabetic? Which in itself is a very interesting story. Yeah, I, I uh, it's my senior year. Um, Instead of going to spring break with everybody else, I got the opportunity. I got called from Dave King of Hockey Canada. They were trying out college guys that were uh, they wanted to be part of potentially Team Canada in the '84 Olympics. So we went to Russia, and we and I did this tour for about three weeks, and we went to Russia, Finland, Sweden. Great time. Um, and over the summer, training, training, no problem. Um, then we went back to Russia again came back and I was sick and I got sick and I started losing weight. Turns out the theory was from the doctors that treated me uh, in Calgary, did a great job, that I contracted a virus that my immune system um, misread a little bit, misinterpreted it, but to, to eradicate the virus it inadvertently killed the islet cells on your pancreas that produce insulin. So it got rid of the virus but it made me instantly type 1 diabetic. So that whole Olympic year I would go to the hospital in the morning uh, to learn about the disease and what, how I had to treat it and how right. to manage, uh, try to get some weight back. Uh, I thought I was dying. I mean, my, I'm like, why, why am I fading right. away to nothing? I lost about 17 or 18 pounds. Um, so I, I, I battled hard. So it's one of the proudest moments because I lost the starting job. I was in a competition with Mario Gosselin, fantastic little goalie for the Quebec Nordiques for years. But uh, we were the goalies for Team Canada. And, you know, I, I was probably the leading guy at the time. But to Dave King, uh, Jean Perron, and George Kingston, the coaching staff, mm -hmm. to their credit, they didn't get rid of me. They let me battle through it. Um, I played decently, given the conditions, probably heroically in my own mind. <laughs> um, but they played me in the Olympics against Norway. Uh, and uh, so they didn't get rid of me because... And, and again, back in those, you're fearful that, oh no, now that means the LA Kings aren't going to want me. You're right, thinking right, about right. all the wrong things. 
Um, but they, they dealt with it. They, they let me play in the Olympic Games, uh, two games, you know, games where we could win. Uh, where it wasn't really a, 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 tough, a, strong, you know, a tough opponent. Um, they kept me on the roster. They kept me as part of the team. Uh, always, always uh, indebted to them for that. Um, and then that summer, I went to the Pritikin in Boston at a clinic, understood the, the, the uh, disease, um, never hit it, uh, took my needles, had my little purse, my little kit that I've carried with me for all these 30-some years later. Wow. Um, and, you know, the guys would say, I'd take my needles in front of them on the bus and the miners, and it's like, this is what I have to do. And it, it was a constant juggling act of balancing your, your now they call it your carbohydrate intake, <clears throat> used to be just your, your diet, your exercise, and your insulin in intake. So it was a constant juggling act. Well, and, you know, I'm kind of borderline, or sometimes I have high blood sugar, and so, you know, like sometimes metformin or something I'll take. But what I have found um, is that if, you know, I lose weight and watch my diet, mm -hmm. and a lot of type 2, two diabetics... Which is, which is over 80% of all diabetics right, are type yeah, 2. Yeah, you know, and, you know, one of my colleagues that, you know, that works right. here, Dana Waukiji, mm -hmm. you know, I, I love her like a sister. She's right. been a friend of mine for a long, long time, does a great job. She is also type, type 1, 1 diabetic. It's different. I mean, this yeah, is... is yeah. This is... I'm not trying to, this is pretty serious. You really have to manage well, it, right? Well, you know, or, like if, if they don't discover insulin from using uh, the hormones from animals, um, Banting and Best in Canada, <laughs> um, in, in like 1924, I believe, um, you're dead in a year. Really? I mean, your wow. body needs insulin to, right, to, to right. function. So, so you, you, you go from that to, okay, then it's just managing you don't want to ever trivialize it, take it for granted, but you have to exercise. You have to uh, know what you're eating and why you're eating and how your body's going to respond and react to it. Um, but yeah, I had a couple of moments like uh, in a game. It, this was before they had the, the uh, water bottle on top of the net. And I'm standing, oh, dehydrated. I'm standing there in Pittsburgh, and I could feel my blood sugars dropping because that's the other thing. It's, a, it's like a roller coaster. Right, right. You're high or you're, you're low. low. And, right, and, right. And you're always looking to try to stabilize. And I'm yelling at the bench. I'm yelling at the bench, throw a water bottle, like the, wow. the, whatever. It was this stuff from uh, Sweden at the time. Prips was, was the Gatorade of the hockey world at the really? time. Just loaded with sugar. And I'm, I'm like, what? And there's no TV time. There's not, none of those natural right, right, right. breaks. Like, right. So... The play's going on at one end, and somebody on the end of the bench, he said, just throw a water bottle. They throw a water bottle, slide it across the ice to me at the one end, and I'm, take a little bit, make right. sure, you know, and then, but I used to always ch check my blood in between periods, um, and then I always had a concoction that I'd kind of formulated over time of uh, uh, orange juice cut with water, um, and based on what my blood sugars were, I knew how much to take, and normalize it that way well max domi yes has like every he every 15 minutes or something during the course of a game he excuses himself to go into the locker room or probably Ta just in the hallway there and mm -hmm. check his blood yeah it's uh that that's what it is the technology is great now i used what i call the poor man's pump system forever mixing long-term and short-term uh, insulin with a needle for over 20 years and kirk frazier oh type huh? one diabetic really his whole career so he and i uh, got to know each other very well with the Thrashers. He's the head coach. I'm mm -hmm. down there doing TV and youth hockey down there with the Thrashers. And he goes, he's on a pump. Mm -hmm. He goes, I go, ah, I don't like it. I just like the needles. Uh, you know, I'm active. He goes, look it. 
I'm way more active than you are. If I can wear a pump, you can wear a pump. So I, I went on the pump, and it was better control um, because you get to only use one type of insulin, which is instead of having to mix two. But I still didn't like all the tubes and stuff. So now um, I use, I, I wear what Insulet uh, Omnipods. Right. And right. It's, it's controlled by my blood testing unit. Um, no no uh, wires. Um, every three and a half days you fill it up, and it's an external pod on you know uh, that, that delivers the insulin um, based on on your needs so technology has come a long way and it's uh, impressive for Ty Domi uh, son you know Max to to get to where he's gotten given that he's had to deal with that his whole life right yeah I mean it, you, it, know? It, you know both of them are, are, are tremendous stories yet for you it's basically been your whole adult life yeah practically. out of nowhere yeah right absolutely right. yeah when you think of it that way um, at the time, like I said, when I when the doctors when I got with, I, I knew I, something was wrong. I went to the team doctors, and they called me. It was I was an afternoon nap. This is typical dumb young hockey player, right? So the phone rings. I'm like, who's waking me up middle of the afternoon in Calgary playing uh, Germany at mm-hmm. the time? Uh, the kid Kuhnhackel, uh, who plays for Pittsburgh, his mm-hmm. dad was six foot six. He was hockey god in Germany. He was on that team. Big long <laughs> talk about long flowing hair. It was unreal. Anyway. So the doctor goes, hey, we, we got the blood test. You have diabetes. I'm like, that's a word I've heard. I don't know anybody. Yeah, right. so no history of my family. Right. I'm like, yeah, okay, good. Thanks. All right. So uh, we'll deal. Uh, talk to you later. It's like, no, no, you don't understand. You can't play. Now we got, what? I can't play a hockey game? Now he's got my attention. Not that I have a, a, a condition that I'm going to have to deal with the rest of my life. I'm worried about I can't play that next game. Right? So they said, if you have elevated blood sugars, and you exert yourself, you could go into a coma. So you start learning about all these, right. all the reasons why, um, and then from there it just became education and uh, you know manage, managing uh, the condition that that, that is going to be with you the rest of the time in your life. You know, at this point where we are in the modern day medicine, it's not curable, but it's certainly manageable. Much and so you so. want to let fans know yeah. out there, like you know, this is this is something that you can certainly deal with oh absolutely it's uh it's, again the way they even even how they you count carbohydrates now so if you know carbohydrates everything's listed yeah um it's like okay that then you know how much insulin to take you know we'll say one unit per every 10 grams of of carbohydrate that that, that so you have to do some math but you, have, you know in that managing system then okay i'm going to work out right now so that means i can't do this okay pizza oh that food really you know puts me out of whack so you, you know really you know the pritikin diet that was so uh popular oh, all yeah. protein Gosh, yeah i was doing i've been doing that my whole life everyone talks about being lean i've been staying away from carbs out of necessity because how they impact blood sugars you learn over time complex carbohydrates break down later so you have your blood sugars and insulin aren't matched up and you don't know exactly when and so they start to go they store that sugar, and everybody else likes it because you've got that stored energy. Right, right. For us, unless you take the insulin at the right time again, give yourself an extra dose, it actually increases your blood sugars and is bad for you. Wow, wow, so. that, well, it's incredible. Well, you know, I mean, thank you. You know, really, thank you for sharing that. Oh, sure. I mean, because I know, you know, I know what Dana goes through. So, I mean, it's yeah. obviously, uh, you know, it's. You're aware of it every single minute oh, yeah. of every single day. So, uh, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, now tr- kind of trivializing it because I really want to get to, to some of the hockey yeah. talk too. You're in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. 
you know, you decide, okay, it, this was fun, but it's it, it's time to move on. When did you decide that, at, you know, when you were with the Sabres that maybe it was time to... Uh... No, I, I, I was... I had a really good experience in Rochester as well in the American League. Mm -hmm. Don't forget, I was getting this. I had the. I tell everybody, I had the reverse career going. You go to the Olympics, the NHL, AHL, and Adirondack AHL and Roch. But I was now working with their younger goaltenders. John Van Boxman was the coach. He gave me oh, the opportunity wow. um, to work. So I got to play like you know thirty games in the American League, but also work. With, so I was starting to get into coaching. I'm like, this will be great. Mm -hmm. um, back in the day when they actually still had uh, player coaches. Um, so I was going to go back and, and sign with Rochester and, and perform the same role, play uh, and, and get more into coaching. They had a coaching change. Um, they cross-trained their uh, coach. Bo Boxy went up to be an assistant coach in Buffalo. Terry Martin went to Rochester to get head coaching experience from Buffalo and didn't want any player assistance. So I'm talking to Jerry Meehan, and it was late in the summer because it was already you know a handshake deal. He's like, Terry doesn't want any... Uh, player assistant coaches. I said, well, what about players? Silence. I'm like, really? <laughs> so that was that August. So oh, Ron wow. Lowe, yeah, so Ron Lowe. Oh, Ronnie Lowe. I loved him as a running right. goalie. So, so now, he was crazy. Yeah, but he, he reached out to me, but he was coaching on Cape Breton Island. Mm -hmm. And I, I, to this day, I'm like, Ron, I, I so appreciate you reaching out, and, and I'd love to play for you, but right now I can't wrap my brain around Cape Breton Island. My career started in L.A. I'd be closer to England than, than, than where, where my NHL is. I think I'm going in the wrong direction, literally and figuratively. And then I had another opportunity to play in Finland, which I should have taken in hindsight because, uh, like Jimmy Bedard did, you, you go over right, there and right. you learned about what they were doing with, at the goaltending position. But I was just a little bit too sour. And the other thing I thought of, I'm going to Finland. I'd already had the international hockey experience at the highest level with the Olympics. So I already had the best of that experience. This is my thought process at the time. So I'm like, am I talking myself out of playing or not playing? I just talked myself out of playing. I just, right. I'm like, right. I guess I, I guess I get, but the, you know, and then again, in hindsight, you wish you would have had them tear the, the jersey off you. I just couldn't think of what's the next logical Well, right, as you said, you're, you're looking at, you're kind of regressing. Right. And, and again, that what's coming in, I mean, I think we're finding out a little bit about your po uh, possibilities. Maybe kind of like me to a certain degree, you're thinking, you're not thinking like long-term or what I should be doing. Right. You're thinking about what you want to have happen. Right, and what you're trying to make happen. Right, right, moment. right. And, right, and, exactly. And, Living and, for and, the moment. And right. I thought it was already a, a done deal. So I trained right. hard for Rochester. I started getting into, uh, you know, what you would do, you play once a week. That was good because you play a three and three nights. So as the veteran guy, I would always play the guy one in the middle, and then work uh, with Darcy Wakaluk and with the goaltenders. Oh, Darcy, you're bringing up names. Yeah. I, I, so it was like this is going to be good. This is where I'm headed. I'm going to be a coach. And then it all again, it all worked out because it morphed into coaching at the youth level, instruction uh, at the hockey school level. Uh, it didn't become a path of, of straight. I'm going to be a head coach in the NHL, the American Hockey League. It, it led to a lifetime of still teaching and coaching, but at, at the youth level. Um, I, you know, we're going, to be run, we're going to run out of time here, so I, I, <laughs> and right. I know I'm jumping around, but it's fascinating, just fascinating. Uh, <clears throat> our buddy Tom Anastas yeah. uh, got you involved <laughs> in what you've really been doing uh, broadcasting. in broadcasting simply because 
he didn't feel like doing it one day or something. I mean, well, it's a weird story. It, I mean, it is. Well, again, so so it's uh, suburban hockey schools. Lyle Fair and I were teammates in, in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So that was the connection. I didn't know Tom. Coach Lyle. Yeah, Coach Lyle. So he and Tom were teammates from Michigan State University. Right. That's their connection. Lyle calls me up after in the early 90s when I finally had stopped playing. He goes, hey, we uh Are you living in Detroit at this time? Yeah, because all my aunts and uncles and cousins were from Redford. So oh really? Even, yeah. So I again. It's right next to Lavonia, man. Exactly. Beautiful. So, I love Redford. Uh, when you go back to that whole fifty-first uh, state of Ontario, I never knew there was a. I never knew there was a border. It, my family was on both sides of the border. Right, right. Um, like so many people in this area. So anyway, I, Lyle says, "Hey, we don't have a goalie program. Can you write one for us?" So I did that I, and became their goalie instructor for the suburban hockey schools. And then I did other instruction with uh, with those guys, with Lyle, with Tom. Um, they didn't have rinks at the time. They were just instructional. They right. Were, right. So so we're going around all different rinks. I remember when Tom made the Farmington Hills rink. That's right, in '99. And and so I think it was Saint, I think it was the Saint Clair Shores rink. Mm-hmm. Um, we're skating around, and they have a program called the Breakfast Club for guys who are police, fire, a lot more shift work back then, right, right. right in '93, '94, and these guys would come out once a week and we put them through a pro style practice so, so to speak great great program still runs to this day for suburban and we're skating around Tom's like you ever think of broadcasting I'm like what do you mean broadcasting and he says well you know I said well I gave him the old disc jockeys I have a communications minor <laughs> he goes because the, the Detroit Vipers who had just started so this maybe 94 um, they want me to be their uh, analyst and I, I'm too busy. And at the time, because I was trying to get things going business-wise, out of hockey, don't know what I'm going to do. I'm like, you're busy. I'm busier than you are. What are you talking about? <laughs> he goes, no, it's only home games, though. And that stopped. I said, well, you know, I'm trying everything. I'm trying to, you know, I'm coaching uh, Divine Child uh, High School. It just yeah. started. I'm assistant coach. I'm, I'm just, I'm writing for magazines. I'm trying to figure out where I'm going right, right. next. And, and so I said, well, I don't know. He said, well, call this guy if you want to. And then says, Pete Scorich. Pete? <laughs> He's right down the hall here. We, right, we can bring right. him in. Exactly. So, so and, and John Ollers was their play-by-play guy. Right. So Ollers uh, as in dollars. Exactly. He's out in Anaheim now. Been right. doing that for years. Yeah, he's a great announcer. And, and I, I and he's actually partnered with Brian Hayward from my goaltending partner <laughs> right, from Cornell. Right, that's right. Small world. Really? Anyway. So I called him up and said, hey, uh, Tom and Ash has told him to give you a call. He can't do it, but he said, you know, maybe I'd be a fit for you. Okay. Didn't know anything about the old IHL. So I went online. There was just barely online at that time. Uh-huh. Um, and I went and got some rosters, and we had to call a game off a, a monitor at the Palace for a period. Did They had me do a mock stand-up and everything, stuff I didn't even know what was going on. Well, a week later, they said, hey, yeah, why don't you finish the season? Um, they needed somebody for half a season because they'd used a player. Bobby Jay had done it because he was injured the first half of the year. So they needed someone short term. So I did it. Um, it was awful, like you might imagine. And so Pete, to this, so Tom Anastas is the reason I got into broadcasting. Pete Scorch was the one who hired me. And Pete goes, you know why you got the job, why he gave you the job? Because we asked you how you thought you were, and you said awful, but I'll get better. I said, right. I said, well, I said, I, I hope I didn't say, I probably did say, uh, you know, probably some hubris saying I would get better. I knew I would try to get better. Um, all these years later would probably be a more accurate way to, to put it. But we had real good support there. They had their own in-house studio right at the palace for television. And 
stayed with it ever since? Well, uh, we could go on. I have an Atlanta, Atlanta Thrasher jersey, <laughs> by the way. <clears throat> but we, let's, <clears throat> let's jump ahead to the Red Wings okay. right now. Um, tonight they play Vancouver. I know people will be listening to this podcast. You know, you'll be able to listen to it whenever. Right. So I don't want to date it too much. But they're seven, seven and one right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, weird. You know, they started off pretty well. Then they had that what six game slid right. where they got one point out of a possible ten or whatever it was, and <clears throat> or twelve. Yeah. Uh, they were horrible against Vancouver. I guess tonight they have the chance. Uh, where Where is this team at in your mind right now? Are they? Uh, competitive enough to compete for a playoff spot. They are. I mean, to me, it's there are a few top teams in each each conference, and everybody else. So below that, everybody else is in the, the bubble, right? And then there's a couple of teams in each that are probably out. Certainly mm-hmm. in the Western Conference, yeah. not the expansion team that we thought it would be. So no, but so, so, so the Edmonton Oilers, perhaps. Right. So so there's a there's you know there's say there's five teams. In the in the East, that are either above or below. Everybody else is in the bubble. I call it the bubble. <clears throat> that they're in that bubble now. Last year they ended up in the bottom of the bubble, but if they get the goaltending they're getting and do it for the entire season, if you continue to get the development of of Larkin, Athanasio, and Mantha, um, you should be at the top of the bubble. And the top of the bubble is that six through. You know, nine or ten. Right, right, those right. those five teams competing all the way through. That's where I think they are. Now, having said that, if you can just increase it and go on a run and get it one of those coveted automatic bids mm-hmm. and get third in your your division, I mean, Toronto's come back to the pack. Um, <clears throat> Tampa's probably the best team in in the <clears throat> East. So yeah, I think they're in that they're they're in the mix. If all that stuff continues. Well, Austin Matthews left Leafs practice today with some soreness. I just got a little blip, so I don't know what that is. I mean, that would be catastrophic for them. Yeah. Um, Looking at the Red Wings, Mm -hmm. you're very familiar with the goaltending position. Jimmy has been nothing short of brilliant the last couple of seasons. You know, he's had to deal with some injuries. He's kind of picked up where he left off mm-hmm. this year. I know he Absolutely. had a, a stinker of a game. I guess it was against Vancouver. Um, uh, it was it was okay. Uh, it, he had the one where the three pucks bounced in off of four bids at the net against Toronto. Oh, Toronto. That's yeah. what, yeah, yeah. Tr- Vancouver, the team was terrible. Right, right. Yeah, that, that, that was, was, and that could be a trap game too. Right after a big, big uh, game against Washington, those games happen. Well, you look at Mrazek, who yeah. had a shutout against yeah. Edmonton, made thirty-eight saves. Nothing to you know. Oh, I mean, even excellent. though Edmonton looked like they were skating in quicksand or something, but um, he seems to have an attitude readjustment. If their goaltending can be above average to near great. Yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, Carey Price has shown you when he's on. I mean, he took a Montreal Canadian team that's just offensively well, as challenged as the Red Wings right. and led them practically to a division title. Well, I mean, it's the same as Edmonton. Cam Talbot masked a lot of Edmonton's deficiencies last year. Um, Henrik Lundqvist has done it for years and years. Right. These teams aren't that different. A lot of it comes down to what kind of year is your goaltender have, goaltender having. Carey Price has done it for years right. in Montreal. He really has. So when the goaltending falls off, let's use Edmonton to Montreal for the start of the season, those teams aren't in the mix at all. Conversely, the Red Wings didn't get the consistent goaltending because Peter was dealing for the first time with a loss of confidence. He lost his way. 
didn't know what the way back because you, you, you don't know it as a young you've never you've never had to deal with so part of Peter's success has been because he he has bravado bravado <laughs> so you lose so you, your game isn't there but you keep up the false bravado because that's what now it's false you know it's false but it's got to be there because it's always been there when you've been successful. So is that is that because he doesn't under he has too much pride? He's too cocky. He refuses to see a deficiency in his game. Well, and that you you used the the present tense and it's past tense because right. he has it's he might have been too cocky, like I was. Right. You don't understand what the work what it means to tear your game back down and put the work in. Once you get the work ethic back. Once your game and the foundation is there, which it is, Peter's been excellent this year. He he is a great goalie. There's and, no question. So well, and now it's can he has he learned? And it looks like he absolutely has. And what we're really talking about is just human nature and maturity. And you hope that that's the truth because I don't think Peter. Everyone, no one ever thought Peter Morazko was a bad guy. It's like he was just caught in between for the first time. It's going sideways. I don't know know how to deal right. with this. I've never had to deal with it. People are telling me what to do. And guess what? I've just always figured it out on my own. It's always just been there. Right, that's and exactly right. And then when it's right. not there, what do you do? Well, you grow up or you get out, and he's grown up. Right, no, that, I think that, that you know that is a great way. You sound like a television analyst. <laughs> <laughs> use that Dr. tonight. Phil. Use that tonight. Work that into I'll, your conversation. The bad news is I'll forget about it in <laughs> five minutes. It's disposable. It's well, disposable. this podcast right will be up, so you uh, you'll be able to hear it. Um, <laughs> I look at it, everyone is psyched about the Larkin, Athanasiu, yeah. Mantha line, yet Blash has been known, as coaches do, mm -hmm. if it isn't working, they're going to change it all up. Uh, should they just leave? If you were to give advice to Jeff Blash, then certainly yeah. this isn't a criticism towards Blash at no. all, but would you say, hey, just leave that line together. Let's see what they can do. No, I would do what he did last night. Last night, they went Because he broke it up. Well, they went in with a plan. They... they, they played a situational game to make sure they had certain personnel on the ice when Connor McDavid was on the ice. Right. And it was like, okay, so if we can't match up these guys, we want to make sure that Larkin goes against him most times, and we'll take that matchup. Because he but can we sort want, of keep up with him. And we want different wingers. Right, because, right. So to me, you use your personnel situationally. So Dylan Larkin last night served was, the was role outstanding. was like Luke Glendening. He was a checker. And, and Glendening was on his wing a lot. Right, right, uh, right. You know, instead of Athena Seale. So you Man need to four-check Connor McDavid or... Right, and so to me, uh, I, I, there are different things. We're talking about two different things. Right. There's strategy, when you deploy your personnel based on the opposition, opposition. and typically that happens on the road because you don't get the last change. Right. You don't get to dictate who you're out there against other than through strategy. The second thing what I think you're talking about, Art, is the let's put the lines in the blender to get guys going. And I know that every coach likes to do that. What happens, though, sometimes is that in order to get certain guys going, you do that and you take away from guys who are already going. Right, right. So, so that's the push and the pull. Um, I think you have baselines. Typically anymore, you have pairs of guys more than set trios. You can look across the league. Right. Have, Everybody likes to keep a winger and a center, center together, together and, and then go from there. Right. And I think that's pretty standard and has been for a long time in the NHL. Right, right. So uh, now looking at this club, uh, you know, I'm a big Anthony Mantha fan. Mm -hmm. he, as a matter of fact, in the media, we call him Tony. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> mm -hmm. 
but but he he's a large kid, mm -hmm. and if you look at the Red Wings, if you had to maybe label somebody a pure goal scorer, at least on this club, oh. he's the guy, right? I mean, he oh, seems to be able to have. A, he has a pretty good touch. No, he's a great touch. He's a scorer. He can score from distance because he has a great shot, and as he proved. Against Edmonton, he's got real good hands at the top of the crease right. uh, on the power play goal he scored. So he's a goal scorer, and it's interesting because you want you have to play the entire game. We get all that. But it's interesting how we'll always talk up the guy that doesn't have the goal-scoring ability but gives his effort when one of the purest skills there is in our game is the ability to put the puck in the net. Right. Mantha has that. I think he's showing it, and I think, again, we're seeing maturity out of him. Dylan Larkin certainly maturity He's, his That's, game has come a long right. way so so i mean you just have to, sometimes you have to overlook but as a coach you have to point out what needs to be done outside of your base strength but for mantha his base strength is scoring are you surprised that andreas athanasiu and because i'm greek i will call him grease lightning okay uh will he uh, do you see use that tonight yeah <laughs> I might forget where I got it from. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, are you surprised that he hasn't missed a beat? I mean, maybe he gets a little tired and they watch his ice time a little bit, but, uh, you know, is, is, that, is that genetics, or did, do you think he really did work on his game while he was holding out? He looks the same to me. I'm um, sure he skated. Uh, yeah. It takes a while to get into to, to game form, and he's looked good, um, but he'll be better. He will be better. Um, he's Again, he's, he's been impactful. But he hasn't been um, impactful to the point of being where you know his game can get to. And that's part of the, the holdout. I mean, plus, he's young. I mean, you're not that far out of shape anyway. Right. Yeah, right? Yeah, so you it's would, like you get in, you're excited, go play hockey. Right, right. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, yeah, it, it, you look at all these guys and there's, you know, exactly. they have no body fat on them at all. Darren, we almost have to wrap this up because I know you had that big important conference call with Fox Sports. To, <laughs> although I've given you plenty of material for yes, tonight. you have. Uh, but uh, uh, real quickly, I wanted to ask you this question about Little Caesars. This complex yeah. is, uh, you know, the Belfort Training Center, mm -hmm. which is essentially the home to Little Caesars hockey as well as the Red Wings practice rink, is outstanding. Yet, you know, you you were with Suburban and Honey Baked, mm -hmm. and there's there, there's Honey Baked, there is Bell Tire. I know I'm going to forget them all. There's obviously Little Caesars. Why is this area where kids come from all over the country, plus the U.S. Development Program, right. why is this such a hockey bed, and why is there so much talent in the greater metropolitan Detroit area, not only from our residents, but people, as I said, come here from all over the country to play? It, it's a hockey culture. I mean, kids play from a young age. Um, you have, you know, the Illiches led the way with Little Caesars. Uh, we're in our 50th year. Right. Um, anniversary of Little Caesars hockey. That orange and blue is just yeah, beautiful. The, the orange and baby blue, everybody recognizes <laughs> it. Right. You know, the Illiches have two of the most I iconic hockey brands, if you want to call it, anywhere with the, the Red Wings and, and Little Caesars hockey. Um, but there's so many other people as well. The leadership of the Illiches in the marketplace. People have followed, as you mentioned. There's lots of interest. There's lots of support. There's lots of sponsorship. Um, here at the Belfort Training Center, it's, it's the best amenities. Uh, we're excited. We're proud of it. It's the home of the, the Detroit Red Wings uh, practice facility. It's the home of Little Caesars AAA hockey. Um, we're very, very fortunate to be able to share the facility with them and all the training opportunities. Um, it's, again, just the, the sign of of what Little Caesar and the Illich family has 
has done for youth hockey and what it means to them. How, I would imagine, even though they might look at you and say, well, God, Darren's a fossil or something, or, you know, but your story is so compelling. <laughs> uh, you could really offer a lot of insight into what it's like. And you have seen the evolution from, like you said, you didn't even, you know, the draft was like in a smoke-filled room or something <laughs> exactly. in Toronto to, to what it is today. I was in, uh, you know, in Chicago at the United Center uh, uh, this past June. Uh, do they come to you? Do, do, do you give them advice? I mean, because I see them. You know, I'm, I'm here all the time, too. These are really young kids, yeah. and, you know, but, the, but they're talented, and you know, they, they all have dreams and aspirations. Do you try to give them a dose of reality, temper it, or do you just try to build them up? I mean, because you're in a real interesting position. You're the yeah. director. Yeah, well, I, I report to Chris Draper. He, he coaches our 15U team, and, and he and I... Uh, try to shape the program with, with the best coaches, which we know that we have in our program, top to bottom. Uh, Patrick Stefan, Brian Ralston, Chris Draper. Let's start right there. Oh, my gosh. You know, so these are our youth coaches. You guys are doing it for the right. Brian Smolinski's in our program. Um, so we're trying to do things the right way for the right reasons. I mean, if you do that over time, you have the best coaches, best training facilities, you have the best program. All right, Darren. All right. One final question. It's quick. It's just a just a hypothetical. I know. Right. I know. I know. <coughs> I, I don't think you're going to get fired, uh, but uh, I I just want to know if the Red Wings get Rasmus Dahlin somehow. I don't know how it happens. The the, the Swedish defenseman mm -hmm. is he a game changer? Is is he a generational player on the blue line? He seems like it. I mean, I've, the, what I've seen, I've seen him play three times. Um, he's talented. He's doing things as a young kid in a men's league right now. Um, all reports are that he is, and that whoever gets him will be a better team to have him. Darren, we'll have to pick this up again. Absolutely. Thank you for being on the Red and White Authority, Episode 37. I really appreciate it. We've been friends a long time. Thank you so much. You bet. Anytime.